0: Well, good morning. Uh, yeah. uh, thank you. Uh, so for those who are visiting, I'm Aaron, and uh, I'm glad to be back in the pulpit. So it's been uh, 10 weeks since I've been in the pulpit. And so last week in Jay's sermon, um, the text from Philippians 4, he talked about like the kindness of sharing troubles. Remember that from the text? And this morning, I just want to express my thankfulness to uh, the elders for sharing my troubles and ways he's giving me this extended time uh, just to get out of the pulpit and uh, let some of those guys preach and just to kind of recharge my batteries a little bit and also want to express my thankfulness to you as a congregation just for your support encourage me encouragement to me through uh, that time so like writing delivering sermons it's, it's not trouble I mean it really is an honor it's a, it's a privilege but it can be a weight and so I do appreciate the expended time to kind of get away from some of that weight and to go through that excellent sermon series through Philippians that was just incredibly encouraging uh, to me So with the text this morning as my example, I just want to start out this morning and just thank you all uh, for just that time away, Uh, just to be away from the weight, but also just to sit under some great preaching. And within that, I also want to thank you for letting me back in the pulpit, uh, to have this honor and privilege to open up God's word for you uh, this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, I hope you do. If you'd open up to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 will be our text to study today. I'm going to be reading for us verses 8 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some in the pews next to you. And uh, if you want to open it up, and just keep it open. After reading through it, uh, we're actually just going to walk through it um, today in the sermon. So Romans chapter 1, starting verse 8 all the way through verse 17, if you want to follow along with me. And after I get done reading, I'm going to pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on this time. So that's what the word said. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. as your faith is proclaimed in all the world, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, as that somehow, by God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that as we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it's written, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, we're here this morning because we want to hear from you, from your word. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would open up your holy word in ways that we can hear and receive it. pray you'd use this time to bring glory to Christ. God, please help me just to be a good communicator. Please help the congregation to be good listeners. And we do pray that your word would triumph. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So over the course of summer and this break that I had, I've been working through a, a book on church history. It's simply titled 2,000 Years of Christ's Power, which is a series that details uh, many of the major movements as well as many of the major, uh, major figures throughout Christianity, uh, which is a series of books that I would recommend to you. And as I've read through this series of books, I've continued to reflect on the title of the series, 2,000 Years of Christ's Power. And as I reflected on that title, I've come to the conclusion that that title is the perfect title to describe the 2,000 years of Christianity. I think this is the perfect title, not because of how smooth and seamless the story of Christianity has been. In fact, reading through the series details the opposite reality, where so much of church history has been bumpy and windy, where there's been twists and churns, where things that have not always been pleasant or encouraging, where even some of the twists and churns have actually been tragic and deeply sinful. Yet despite this less than pleasant history, despite of all the ups and downs, all the twists and churns, despite flawed characters, flawed movements, through the power of Christ, through the power of Christ alone, for 2,000 years, Christianity has continued to advance. As Christ continues to keep his promise that indeed he will build his church, and hell itself will not overcome it. So I've read through this series detailing how the gospel has advanced through the centuries. I have found myself deeply encouraged. In fact, so deeply encouraged by the power of Christ, how the gospel continues to advance that today, as I get back to the pulpit here, I wanted to work through this passage here in Romans before we get back to our study of 1 Samuel, which we'll be picking back up next Sunday. Okay? Now before we get to the text, let me give just some brief context for you. So the letter that we refer to as Romans is called that because the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter wrote this to the early Christian church in the city of Rome. So in the 2,000 years of Christ's power, this church was there kind of at the beginning. And as Paul wrote this letter, he did so by giving the church in Rome, and by extension, all of us throughout church history, some of the deepest and richest theology in the New Testament canon. In fact, because of the depths and riches found in this New Testament letter it was the great Martin Luther who said we could never read Romans uh, too much. Luther also called it the purest gospel. Uh, if you read through the book of Romans, you know this letter is not just a deeply theological letter, but it's also incredibly practical and pastoral. When we read Romans, particularly the last third of it, there are so many practical pastoral truths that help us to know how to live out the Christian faith in light of the deep theological truths. And for us this morning, this includes the deep theological truth of power of the power of Christ. That we are to practically live out in ways that we are testifying to it, to those who God has placed in your life, those we are obligated to. Okay, so that brings us back to our text this morning that I wanted to work through. So you want to look back at me starting in verse 8. And as you're looking there, if you want to let your eyes skim over verses 1 through 6, we see Paul start this letter by identifying himself and his credentials, which is pretty typical of his letters. Then after he identifies himself, he turns the address to church in Rome, which he does in verse 7. Then get to our text, verse 8. We read that he has a word that he wanted to share with them. A word about his love and appreciation for the church family in Rome. Telling the church in verse 8, Church in Rome, first of all, first of all, before we get too far into this lengthy letter that I'm about to write you, first of all, I want you to know up front, before you get anything else, please know that I thank God through Jesus Christ for you. Up front, know how much I appreciate you, how grateful I am to the Lord who is at work, clearly at work through you at Rome. While there's many things I'm sure that Paul was thankful for, the thing he specifically wanted the church to know up front that was driving his thankfulness for them was their faith, the reputation of their faith, the strength of their faith that was being proclaimed throughout all of the world, our text tells us. Now, just a couple of quick thoughts here. First, I do like the model of Paul not only telling the church that he was thankful for them, but also specifically telling them why he was thankful Obviously it's good to tell people things like, you know, I'm thankful for you, or I appreciate you, or I love you, those are good things that we should be telling others. But you know what, it's even better to give specifics on like why you're thankful, why you appreciate them, specific things that you love about them. Specifics can just show an added level of care and attention and thoughtfulness. So married couples, I do hope that you're giving specifics to your spouse, parents, same with you, giving specifics to your children. Children, same for you, as giving specifics to your parents, how you love and appreciate them. I mean, I hope all of us are doing that for our family, our friends, people we care about, including others in our church family. Specific reasons why we are so thankful for them. As mentioned, it adds levels of care and attention and thoughtfulness. And you know, if you receive any of that care, you know how encouraging that is to receive. Second. Just take note. What an incredible reputation for this church in Rome to have! To have people all over the Roman world speak so favorably about this local church that their reputation was spreading all over the region. And if you remind those who've read through the book of Romans, this wasn't like a huge, enormous first-century megachurch. Rather, this is a small community of believers. So small, in chapter 16, at least part of the church in Rome, if not all the church in Rome, was small enough that they had to meet in houses. Right? The church was not large in terms of numbers. That is a faithful church with a large reputation. Verse 9, because of Paul's gratefulness, uh, gratefulness for the church, for the reputation, for how the Lord was clearly using them, Paul wrote that God as his witness the very one whom God served, that in his spirit, the text his spirit is filled with the powerful gospel of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that the church knows he's always praying for them, that this church in Rome was always on his prayer list. So time and time again, our text tells us, without ceasing, he was mentioning this little church in Rome to the Lord in his prayers. While I'm sure there's many things Paul was praying for this church, he, once again see in verse 10 a very specific thing that he's praying over them which also is a good model for us Let so people know specific ways how we're praying for them in our text verse 10 if you take your eyes there specific thing that paul was praying was a prayer of how he wanted to come to them he wanted to somehow by god's will they would at least or at last succeed in coming to visit this church in rome now it's hard to know exactly where paul was at the time of this letter But church tells us that it's very likely that Paul wrote this letter while he was in Corinth. And this seems to be likely he wrote this in Corinth because of clues left in chapter 16. Some of the people that Paul mentions in chapter 16 uh, that he he was with when he wrote this letter, people known other places in the New Testament lived in Corinth. So it seems likely that's where Paul was. For our purposes today, the point of interest I want to draw attention to is that Corinth is maybe like 600 miles or so from Rome. And we know that's a lot farther back then than it is today with our modern transportation. Or even though this is a long trip, a difficult trip, probably a challenging trip, maybe even a dangerous trip for Paul to take, in our text, this is a trip Paul really wanted to make. So over and over again, he's asking the Lord in prayer to open up a door for this trip to happen. I mean, he's longing to visit this little church. A little church that at this point, all he knew was of the reputation. I mean, he's not yet ever visited them. I see the text. The reason behind Paul's prayer to see them was not some type of like self-centered, selfish reason. Like he wasn't trying to get to Rome just to like add stamps to his passport, cross off a new place on his bucket list. You know, take a tour of like the Colosseum or something like that. Rather, than verse eleven, why Paul was prayerfully longing to be with them was so he could serve them. So he could serve them with his spiritual gifts with the hopes that by Paul serving this church with his gifts, that God would use it in such a way to further fan the flame on this little church family so that this little faithful church in Rome would be strengthened so they'd be encouraged to not grow weary in the good that they clearly were doing. Which, by the way, is the purpose for all the spiritual gifts that we have that will be given to us by God. They're to be used in such a way that for the glory of God, he uses them to bless others to strengthen others, to encourage others. Faithfully serving our gifts is also a real part of our spiritual worship, which is why we're to use them. Later on, Romans 12, Paul wrote this concerning gifts. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say, everyone among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as one body we have many members and members not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace God given, grace given to us. And he said, "Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith in service, if it's service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness." We're to use spiritual gifts to bless others, to encourage others. By the way, if you're here today and you're trying to figure out how to best use your gifts to serve the body that is Red Village Church, the hope that God could use you to bless and strengthen others in the church family, please come talk to me. Like we, we always need people in the church family to help build us up in love and unity. Friend, Who knows how God might use you, your spiritual gifts, to strengthen and encourage us Circle go back to this more at the end of the time. Keep going, verse 12. Which is something that actually Jake kind of hit on last week in his sermon. As Paul prayed, as he had this desire to come to Rome, to serve the church in Rome with his gifts, that like he understood that not only how that could be an encouragement to the little church family in Rome, but he also understood how the church family in Rome could also encourage him. You know, a two-way street of encouragement. Verse 12, that is, that we might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine, which is what we want when we talk about connecting as a church. Right? This is the how and why why we desire to connect and live in community with one another. That we're connecting in such a way that we're all using gifts to serve each other, so that our tanks of encouragement are always being filled by one another. You know, just a quick story, kind of on this. So several years back, this is when I was still in seminary. So so one of my buddies was like really struggling, probably discouraged, frustrated, and he had like no joy in his Christian walk. And this friend of mine, he probably has like maybe the strongest gift of hospitality of like anyone I know. Like he's he's, like really good at it. And one day when my friend and I were talking, he was conveying to me his struggles, his discouragement, his frustration, his joylessness. I just simply asked him, say, when's the last time you had someone over to your house for a meal? to use your gifts of hospitality. And things just got quiet and eventually responded. It was such a long time since he'd used his gift, they couldn't even remember when. For him, he was not connecting ways to use his gifts to both give and receive encouragement. I think that's a large reason why he was so joyless in his Christian walk. Now, I don't want to oversimplify challenges and struggles. Or simplify things like discouragement, frustrations we might face. At times, there can be a lot of complexity tied to those realities. However, that being said, sometimes the simple answer to the complexities, at least in part, is right here. Like, perhaps you're discouraged but you've stopped using your gifts, like, you've stopped serving other people, like, you're actually pulled away from community, from connecting, like, you removed yourself from a God given means of being strength. Are strengthened and mutually encouraged. Keep going, in verse thirteen. Even though Paul's prayer and desire was to come to Rome to visit this church, yet as mentioned up to this point, he's never been able to get there. And perhaps because he has not yet been there, Paul was being concerned that perhaps the church in Rome is starting to doubt the genuineness of the desires to come to them. Like maybe start to wonder, was like, was he just saying that kind of to be nice? But deep down, he really doesn't want to make the trip to see us. So perhaps to address the potential concern in the church, in the text, we see Paul write, Church in Rome, he says, I don't want you to be unaware of my desire to be with you or doubt my desire to be with you. Rather, Church in Rome, please know that often I have truly, legitimately intended to come to you where I have legitimately tried to like coordinate my plans, legitimately tried to work through logistics to make it happen. Please know, I'm not just saying I want to come visit you because it's kind of like the nice thing to say. No, I, I want to come to be with you. I long to be with you. I've honestly been trying to make my way there, but in the text, thus far, church in Rome, just know I've prevented, been prevented from coming, which is something that actually Paul experienced in the past as well. You know specifically think of Acts 16, if you've read that before, where Paul desired to go to Bithynia, yet he was powerfully prevented from going there in Acts 16, and once again, our text today, perhaps maybe surprising to us, the one who was actually keeping Paul from getting to the place he desired, the one who was preventing him, was actually the Spirit of Jesus. Meaning, God was not giving Paul that which he wanted, what he was praying for. And this is not was not happening because God was like cruel. Rather, God was preventing Paul and these desires because the Lord had something else in store for him. Acts 16, the Spirit of Jesus prevented Paul from Bithynia in order to direct Paul over to Macedonia. It was in Macedonia where, Paul, where God had desired for Paul to preach the gospel so the gospel would go forward there in power. Our text today, same dynamic. The place, uh, uh, This time, the place of the Church of Rome. Right? Paul desired to go to them. He often intended to come to them. He prayed somehow that things might work out. Yet, in the wisdom and in the plan of God, the spirit of Jesus prevented Paul from coming to Rome. In our text, so that Paul would use in such a way he'd reap a harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Which, by the way, hopefully gives us some perspective, maybe even some hope, when things are not quite going the way you want them to, where you hoped they would, where you planned they would, maybe even how have, have you've been praying they would go where we're trying like so hard to do something, to accomplish something, yet it just feels like we're spinning our wheels and things are never working out. My friend, if that's you this morning, have hope. Perhaps God is preventing you, preventing this thing from working out. Because in his sovereign wisdom, he has something else in mind, something else that he's going to accomplish. I trust is why the words of Romans 8 are just so important for us to hold on to, to cling to, especially when life is not going the way we hope and pray it would. Romans 8, And we know that for those who love God, all things, even things that seem prevented, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And by the way, let me mention, eventually Paul did make his way to Rome, but I'm not sure if he made his way to Rome in ways that he would have picked or hoped he would get there. Years later, after Paul wrote this letter, He arrived in Rome as a prisoner, where eventually he'd lose his life as a martyr for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, even in that reality, God used Paul to accomplish his will and spread forth his gospel. Keep going, verse 14. As Paul let the church in Rome know that him being prevented to see them as part of God's bigger plan... He told them that he is under obligation to proclaim the message of Christ's power both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, which here seems to reference like the Greeks reviewed culturally as wise, educated, cultured, but maybe in a snobby way. The barbarians were viewed as being foolish, uneducated, maybe a lack of sophisticated culture because how different they lived in the Roman world. Yet both these groups, even though they're so much different, From Rome so much different from Paul who was a Jew yet Paul felt obligated to reach both sides of the societal scale and by including both sides both of these groups in verse 14 which by the way are pagan groups Paul is communicating to the church and to us the part of reality of God's kingdom that God is drawing people from all sides of society who are all culturally different to faith in Jesus Christ they all have equal footing in the kingdom of God Verse 15, because of this obligation, the responsibility that Paul had, we see this added to his eagerness to get to Rome. In our text, you can feel like he's like chomping at the bit to come in order that he might be able to preach the gospel, which is the word I'll define for you just a bit. But for here, just notice this obligation, this responsibility that Paul had to the Greeks, the barbarians. Just notice, this isn't like a like a joyless burden. A soul crushing responsibility placed on him by the Lord. Notice this, this isn't like Paul, you know, trying to figure out like you know how he can weasel out of this soul crushing responsibility, like maybe like the Old Testament prophet Jonah, or maybe even like us at times. Rather, this obligation, this responsibility that Paul had to preach the gospel. This is a joyful delight for him. One that he was eager to walk in, eager to fulfill. Back to Romans 12 this obligation to preach the gospel, this is a joyful part of Paul's spiritual worship. Because this was his joyful responsibility, part of his spiritual worship, we wrote in verse 16 of our text, hey, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the responsibility given to me to preach. Now, this is over here I want to Take a few moments just to define the word gospel, just because of how important it is. So, so, one more time to go back to the church history series I'm reading. Far too often throughout church history, the word gospel has either been lost, taken for granted, or misunderstood, which is a large part of the reasons why there have been so many twists and turns throughout church history. So, so, gospel or good news. So, this is the message of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ crucified and risen on the behalf of sinners. And this is good news, that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners only to rise again on the third day because Romans 1, 2, and 3, and so many other places in Scripture teach us that there's bad news. Bad news that apart from Christ, that we're in trouble before the Lord. Bad news is Romans teaches us that when left to our own, that none of us are righteous, not one. That not only are none of us righteous, none of us can make ourselves righteous. We'll get to more in just a bit. And because none of us are righteous, not one of us, Romans 1.18, which is actually the next verse where I stopped, it teaches that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness. Just say it again. Apart from Jesus Christ, this is all of us. Right? Scripture tells us all have sinned. All have fell short of the glory of God. We all are at enmity with God, both by birth and by choice. And because of that, apart from Christ, we're all under the judgment of God. And this is bad news for us. However, even though by birth and choice we're all under this bad news, according to God's good eternal plan, according to the riches of his grace and mercy, he has given good news to us. The good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. And as Christ died for us on the wooden cross, he stood in our place to take on the punishment of our sin so that through faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone, not only would we find our sins forgiven, forgiven in such a way that there is now no more condemnation on us before the Lord, but we also would be eternally under God's love, where God will eternally love us as his adopted children. This is good news. Good news that through Jesus Christ, God loves sinners. Going further, back to Romans 8, the good news that through faith in Jesus Christ, through his incredible love of God, nothing will ever be able to separate us from God and his love. Romans 8, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, that's the gospel. It's good news for us, good news that all who by faith turn from sin come to Jesus, they would find forgiveness and they would find the love of God on them eternally. later on, Romans 10 simply says, whoever, including Greeks and barbarians, wise and unwise, whoever, including you here today, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Also, Romans 10: Whoever, including Greek and barbarians, wise and wise or wise and unwise, whoever, including you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in the heart that God has raised Him from the dead, the promise is indeed you will be saved. And for Paul, hope for us as well, proclaiming this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a joyful obligation, a joyful responsibility that he was eager to walk in, eager to tell others about Jesus Christ. Keep going. In fact, not only was Paul joyfully eager to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, as mentioned earlier, we see that he wasn't timid or scared, or ashamed about this message, or the responsibility to declare this message, as he simply, yet powerfully, wrote, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. The reason why he was not ashamed of the gospel, our text tells us, is because the gospel, the message of Christ, crucified and risen, in that message is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Once again including pagan Greeks and barbarians including those in your family your places at work your neighborhood your social circles of those who have yet to believe Friends, the gospel has all the power necessary to bring people to faith once again including you here today who maybe have yet to believe in Jesus Christ the gospel has all the power to forgive our sin no matter how dark no matter how vile it might be and it might feel the gospel has all the power necessary to sign our adoption papers to bring us into god's family eternally and church we can't forget we can't doubt we can't lose sight we can't take for granted how Powerful the gospel is to save. It is mighty to save. Amen. Now listen, I know we're living in a culture that seems to be falling apart around us, a culture where sin seems to be more and more celebrated and even honored. And because of that, it's going to be easy for us like to lose hope, you know, maybe pull away, and just be like cynical, and to think that the world around us is just, like like too far gone. It's just too dark. But listen, that's not true. As a powerful light of Jesus Christ shines into the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. Amen. Even the darkest of the darkness bows down and submits to the light of Jesus Christ. Christ will bring all to faith who he is calling to himself. Jesus will build his church, and hell itself will not prevent him from doing so. Church, to say it again, the gospel is a power of salvation for all who would believe. Keep on the text. This powerful gospel, this powerful message that Jesus saves. Our text tells us that Paul wrote first came to the Jews, which Paul was one of, who, by the way, also were culturally despised by the Romans. After the gospel went forward to the Jews, then it went forward to the Gentiles, or all non-Jews. We see this played out in the book of Acts. And here, once again, Paul, I think, is communicating the all-encompassing kingdom of God, where God, in his powerful grace, is bringing people to faith from all kinds of people, Jew to Gentile. Finally, today, verse 17, read this: For in it, with it being the powerful gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. As is written, which is a quote from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, which, by the way, is how we receive and believe in the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is by faith. Right? Righteousness does not come from our own deeds. You and I, we can't do enough to make ourselves righteous, but we put our faith in Jesus. His righteousness is counted. As our righteousness. Amen. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in his incredible power. Faith in all that he powerfully commands us to do. Now, to finish out our time here, I do you want to circle back to the book series we're reading just one more time? The 2,000 years of Christ's power. And how we want to finish off our time today is to use the text to talk about a few areas where we see. Christ's power in this text, which are areas not only found in the text, but are areas that continue to be put on display for the past two thousand years. So I have, I have three things. So first, Christ's power is what brings us to faith. It's that none of us are here today who have faith in Jesus Christ because, like our own power, brought us to that place. The only way we come to faith is because Christ and His power brought us to faith. Like we didn't do it, He did it. This is why, like, none of us who have faith can boast. By the way, this is also why as Christian people, like, this is why we're, like, the most humble and gracious of all people. We know it's only because of the power of God found in the gospel and in his grace that any of us believe. Listen, that's important for us to remember. Not only for the glory of Christ and our enjoyment of him, you not you remember, it's actually the Lord is the one who did this in our work, or this work in our life, but if we forget, we start to think that it was like us, like we brought ourselves to faith, what happens if we become like proud or maybe even sinfully judgmental towards those who have yet to believe? Thinking like somehow like in ourselves, we're like better than them. It's it's Christ's power, his power alone that saves. Second, Christ's power places us into a community. Now all of us, we all have to come to Jesus on our own. We all need personal, saving faith in him. All of us, individuals, need to call upon his name to be saved. However, as we come to Christ, Christ powerfully then puts us into community, where we to live out our faith collectively, which primarily is to be found in the local church, which we read in Romans 12 I read earlier, is the body of Christ. And in this community that Christ powerfully puts us in, he does so because he wants to put his power continually on display. How? through each person in the community serving the rest of the community through gifts given to us so that through the service, through the spiritual gifts, Christ will then powerfully strengthen the church in ways where everyone is feeling mutually encouraged, our text tells us. Now, for us here here at Red Village Church, there are two broad categories by which we hope everyone is serving others by using your gifts. Even the two here is so the first broad category is maybe a little bit more structured, a little more organizational. So for example, think of things like maybe like our village kids ministry that has some real organizations some real structure tied to it, where we're always looking for people to help serve in that ministry. Or maybe something, think of something like maybe like a hospitality team, where there's some structure, some organization there to ensure on Sundays there's people hopefully greeting at the doors, serving coffee and food in the kitchen, which we're always looking for people to help there. I'll give you other examples, but i just one more. Just maybe think about our small groups. Right? There's a bit of structure, a bit of organization to our small groups. And yes, we could really use more small groups. We need people to help lead and host small groups so that our small groups continue to be small and accessible for more people to get into our church family. So that's a broad category. Right? We're always looking for people in the church to use your gifts in the structured organizational ministries that are Red Bills Church. But then there's the other broad category which is maybe a little bit more organic in nature, where we're just simply seeing needs and meeting needs, often on like personal, relational levels. So like an examples here, maybe you know someone in the church who is sick, so powerfully you serve them, like taking them a meal. Or maybe there's someone who's new in the area, so maybe you powerfully invite them to join you like on the terrace, so you can take in a sunset as they get acclimated to Madison. Or maybe someone has like, some type of house project, and you have like the skills to powerfully help them. Or maybe there's just someone who's just really down and discouraged. There's a tidal wave of life never seems to let up for them. So maybe powerfully, intentionally, you just come alongside with them. You be there with them in ways you're just trying to encourage them. None of these things are necessarily church-wide, structured organizational ministries. But we know how God uses things like this to powerfully encourage and strengthen others. So for us as a church, I hope all of us are finding ways to serve in both broad categories. That you're helping the organization, the structure that is Red Village Church. And honestly, we do need everyone in the community to help out with this. But I also hope that you're active and involved in just serving others in organic, relational ways which can be so important, that can make such a great impact. So by serving the community that Christ has powerfully placed us in, like we can build each other up, encourage each other in love and in unity. Which actually leads to the last thing I want to say here before we close. Third, Christ's power is sending us out to reap a harvest. And this is actually one of the great reasons why Christ puts us in community. This is why it's so important for us as a church community that we're seeking to build one another up in love and unity. Why? To help each other so we can be sent back out into the harvest field so that we can be a stronger and better witness for the cause of Christ and his gospel. And listen, if we're honest with each other, that's not always easy for us to do. Not always natural for us to do, to be sent back out. As we know, we're not always eager to like leave community to go engage the world around us. When we get placed in church community, what's easy? What's natural? You know this. It's easy to just like to kind of hunker down and like isolate ourselves from the world around us in ways that we're actually like never sent out. We're practically relationally we cut ourselves around, cut ourselves off from the world around us, which which is not good. That's not what God would have for us. Community is meant to build each other up, to continue to send each other out. Now this week, I'm saying for myself, why it's easy and natural for me sometimes is to kind of get like lost and isolated in community. So for me, I came up with three reasons for my own life, why at times this is true. I'm going to give you these. I wonder if any of these resonate with you. So first, I can isolate myself and community out of fear. I'm afraid of the world around me. Afraid of what others might think of me if I start to sharing Jesus with them. Afraid of being rejected. Afraid of being judged. If I'm honest, maybe afraid that the darkness will overcome the light. So in truth, when I'm afraid to be a witness for Christ, I'm actually being ashamed of the gospel. And not only that, I'm doubting its power. But for me, that wasn't just fear that keeps me from being sent out. Second, I can isolate myself in community. Why? Because it can be fun. And hopefully, church life is fun. Hopefully, it is enjoyable. Hopefully, we echo the words of Paul in verse 11, in our text, where we're like longing to see each other. But listen, if we're not mindful, what can happen? If we can have so much fun in church community? That what happens is like over time, we just can be in to isolate ourselves more and more from others, to the point the only people that we know Whoever do things with are like fellow believers. And maybe it was like almost like maybe a fear of missing out. That if we spend time trying to engage those who have yet to believe, that maybe we'll miss out on some type of church community event. Third, the reason I wrote down this week why sometimes it's hard for me to get out of church community this is related to a Pharisaical attitude, where I can just beat my chest. And I can declare myself better of other than others and stand in judgment over them. So rather than having compassion and grace in ways that's compelling me to share the gospel with those who have yet to believe, what can happen? I can deem myself too righteous to stoop down to share Christ with someone I deem as too sinful. And by the way, even though the church in Rome was committed for their faith that was spreading all around the known world, I did wonder this week if maybe that was an issue for them. Particularly when it came to the Greeks and the barbarians. Or maybe they thought, you know what, the Greeks, they're just too smart for their own good. We just need to leave them alone. Or perhaps like the barbarians, where are just too civilized, or uncivilized, I should say, not worthy of their time. Friends, whatever the reason that's keeping us from being sent out as witnesses for Christ, Listen, we must actually confess that as sin. Perhaps even confess it to others in the church family so they can help you churn from it. So we can help each other to become more and more faithful witnesses to powerfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that we are obligated to reach. By the way, before I close, if you struggle to know who you are obligated to reach, most likely for the vast majority of us, the people we are obligated to share Christ with are simply the people that God has already placed in your life. co workers neighbors, people at the gym, wherever you might see people, the same people over and over again, these are people that we should feel obligation, joyful obligation to talk to about Jesus, to, to bloom for the glory of God, for the sake of the gospel, to bloom where God has already planted you, to be a good steward of relationships that you already have, where you're intentionally seeking to foster and grow them. So again, this is the obligation that the majority of us here have, the people that God has already placed around us, which by the way does care, does include for those of us who have children under our care. It it is our obligation to raise children in the fear and discipline of the Lord. So that means if I can put in one last plug for VBS. If you have yet to sign up for your children to VBS, listen, we would love for all the kids connected to our church to be at VBS to join us so we can proclaim to them over and over again this week the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, with all that being said, let me mention For some of you, maybe your obligation might actually not be here. But your obligation might lead you to the foreign mission field, to a place where Christ has yet been proclaimed. You know, one of the real joys for me this summer just having some of our different missionaries back home on break. And who knows? Maybe similar to them, maybe your obligation might take you to the mission field to powerfully proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, to hopefully see the Lord build his church in areas where yet has not yet been built. That would be incredible to see the story of Christ and his power continue to advance through us to the ends of the earth. Friends, we have powerfully good news in Jesus Christ. Good news of the wooden cross and the empty tomb that we must declare really do mean everything. In a Red Village, may we be a faithful church. A faithful church who has a reputation for being faithful. Faithful both in how we serve and strengthen each other with our gifts, but also faithful and how we proclaim the gospel to the world around us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God to salvation for all who would believe. Lord, thank you for those who proclaim the gospel to us, who are not ashamed to tell us, the good news of Jesus. And Lord, please help us to be found faithful. Help us to be found faithful to use our gifts to encourage one another and build each other up. Help us to be found faithful to do it in ways that we are sending each other out. And Lord, we do pray with full confidence We pray that your powerful gospel would continue to advance both here in Madison and all the way to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.